My mom and dad, I guess, went to the movies tonight. What'd they go see? Uh, they went to go see that Avatar movie. And my dad, it's the middle of the movie. Like, the movie is happening, and he's texting me, and he is furious. God, I'd be furious if I got to go to that damn movie, too. He thinks it's awful. He said, don't bother with Way of Water. I expected a bad movie, and it was even worse. It's rubbish. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't watch the first one, and I don't plan to, so that's fine. And he said, sadly, it looked like the best option for tonight. Hitting myself with a hammer would have been better. At least the big battle scene is about to start. Hopefully that means the pain is almost over. It was this mom's idea, this movie? Uh, going to the movies, because mom likes to go to the movies and dad hates going to the movies, and so he tolerates it once a year. But I think they're probably not going to go to the movies for a while after this. We can do this all day. Episode 28, WandaVision Review, Part 1, Episodes 1 through 5. Are you ready, partner? Rock and roll, buckaroo. Hi, this is Mark. And this is Emily. And, and we, we can, can do, do this, this all day. day. A podcast where we review all the movies and shows in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going through the MCU chronologically and discussing our overall impressions. Things we liked, things we didn't like, and everything in between. We hope you'll tune in and stay with us till the end of the line. Hi there, everybody. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the show. My name is Mark Villa. With me, as always... My co-host, Emily Griswold. In Emily, case you good evening. Yeah, um, it's it's been a minute, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is as we speak, New Year's Eve, two thousand twenty-two. The ball will be dropping in just a few short hours. This this particular episode has been delayed a couple times. See, well, actually, technically, it's only been delayed once, but it feels like a zillion times. Feels like it's been a long time. We had, uh, we were kind of ready to roll right after Thanksgiving and then Emily got sick. Not COVID. Thank you. And then, and then <laughs> I just, just want people to know you can catch other things that aren't COVID, unfortunately. There's a lot of stuff to be, a lot of stuff going around that isn't COVID, although COVID is going around because uh, one of the, one. well, this didn't necessarily delay us, but it could very well have delayed us. <laughs> My wife had COVID two weeks ago. She did get COVID, but she is uh, very much on the mend. She's been testing negative every day now for like, what's today? Friday. Uh, nine days. Nine days in a row she's tested negative. But that was kind of an unpleasant experience. That's sure a lot of tests. I just went to the urgent care and they pressed on my face and said, guess what? Your sinuses are infected. That was it. And I know exactly where I got it. So Thank goodness the uh, our public library system, of which I am a proud employee, does hand out free COVID test kits to everyone. We made use of those earlier this month. But uh, so we've had a few we've had a few things crop up, but we are finally, finally back. We are uh, going to do our first ever MCU television review. We're going to be digging into WandaVision in just a minute. There's a part of me that almost doesn't want to do the MCU news because it's a little stale by now. But I'd be remiss if I didn't at least uh, try to talk about some of the stuff that is now kind of old news. So we'll fire up the ticker tape machine. By the way, my voice is a little tired today, so. If I sound a little funny, that is why. Okay, so <laughs> from about, you know, a month ago, Marvel is developing a Wonder Man series for Disney+. Plus. It will star Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Simon Williams. Abdul-Mateen is coming off of the critically acclaimed Broadway revival of Top Dog Underdog, and he starred in DC's Aquaman as Black Manta and in HBO's Watchmen series as Dr. Manhattan. The show is being directed and executive produced by Shang-Chi director Daniel Destin Cretton, and it's being written by Hawkeye co-producer Andrew Guest. 
also, for those of you who didn't already hear, it was uh, reported, oh, I wrote down recently, now like a month ago, that Hollywood legend Harrison Ford has been tapped to take over the role of General-slash-Secretary Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross from William Hurt, who passed away earlier this year. Ford will be making his MCU debut in Captain America New World Order, which is set to hit theaters on May 3rd, 2024. Somewhat more recently, various news outlets have been reporting that Tom Holland has finally signed a new deal with Marvel to appear as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in no fewer than six, count them, six upcoming projects, including a new Spider-Man trilogy, Daredevil Born Again, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, and of course, Avengers Secret Wars, which will cap off Phase 6. So lots of maybe not so fresh, but still exciting news from the MCU this last month and change. <laughs> I don't know why, but the the Kang Dynasty movie feels cursed to me. Probably not a, a not far an unusual, off. <laughs> not not far off. Seeing how all the production problems they've had with losing the director for uh, for Blade and that kind of screwing up the the production process. There there are a lot of unknowns in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now, especially regarding things way down the pike. So yeah, I I don't think it's I don't think you're wrong to feel a little funny about that, but they will find a way to write the ship. I trust in Kevin Feige. They have a way of fixing things. Case in point, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It may not be my favorite Marvel movie, but uh, just the mere fact that it even exists at all, that it happened at all, is kind of a minor miracle, and it's done very well critically and box office-wise. That in and of itself is just sort of a tremendous story. So if you can get through with it, what Ryan Coogler had to get through for that, I'm sure they'll figure out what to do about all the Phase 6 stuff that has been having problems lately. And so we begin with our first ever review of a Marvel TV series from Disney Plus, WandaVision. We'll be talking about the first five episodes. The whole series in itself consisted of nine episodes and premiered on Disney Plus on January 15th, 2021, almost two years ago, probably definitely two years ago by the time you all hear this. It stars Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Tayona Paris, Katherine Hahn, Randall Park, Kat Dennings, and Josh Stamberg. It was created by head writer Jack Schaefer and was directed by Matt Shackman, who was more recently tapped to take over the director's chair for the upcoming Fantastic Four film uh, in the wake of John Watts' departure. So when Disney first announced that they were starting their own streaming service, Disney Plus, way back in 2018, uh, Marvel had started developing some limited series featuring supporting characters in the MCU who had not had their own feature films. Production on the first three of these series, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki began in late 2019. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was set to premiere in late summer 2020, with WandaVision dropping later that fall. However, production on all three shows halted in March 2020 due to COVID-19, and uh, production resumed on all three shows in the fall of 2020. But instead of Falcon, it was WandaVision that ended up being Marvel's first Disney Plus show, as it premiered, as we said, on January 15th, 2021. So overall impressions, and uh, I am going to wing this. I think it ended up being sort of a fortuitous thing that WandaVision ended up going first instead of Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, you know, on the heels of all the um, late Phase 3 stuff like Endgame and, and all that, 
I think going straight to Falcon and the Winter Soldier would have felt kind of like just going back to the well again. That's kind of the tone of that show and the feel and the look of that show are so very much like a lot of those last Phase 3 projects. And WandaVision was so radically different. By comparison, I thought it was a really, it ended up being sort of a brilliant stroke to have that go first because it was it was something different. When we first saw it, I was like, wow, this is this is so unusual. I, I don't know what the hell is going on in this show, but I, I kind of like it. So I think that ended up being a really good thing for Marvel. Plus, as we'll allude to numerous times, I thought this was an acting tour de force more so than a lot of things that Marvel has done lately. Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, I think, deserve Emmy Awards, especially Elizabeth Olsen. She is fantastic in this. Paul Bettany is fantastic. They both demonstrated such range, and I've just never seen them do some of the stuff they do in this show. It's not a perfect show, and we'll get to, I think, a lot of the imperfections tend to come in the latter half which we'll talk about next time. But uh, I just thought it was a really impressive first TV outing for Marvel. I don't really like sitcoms. So I think that's what put me off of WandaVision. Like, I think that they are very good actors, obviously. And I enjoyed the back half of the show more because it was less sitcom-y. And I really didn't like it the first time I watched it. Didn't think it was that good. And some of Wanda's behavior, it's just like, ma'am, just go to therapy. Like, (laughs) come on. Get it together. I am a little bit more impressed with it now. Like, I like it better. But I do find myself still sort of, like, drifting away from it when I'm supposed to be watching it. Now that I've seen more shows, it does have a similar vibe to Loki. But I like Loki way better. And I think that might just be the magic, like, the magic part of it instead of the superhero part of it. Mm -hmm. But... yeah. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, you weren't as keen on WandaVision. You like Loki a lot better. I love Loki. We're both both the opposite. I was just not a big fan of Loki, especially after that second episode. But, you know, it's one of the advantages of having a shared universe. You can do different types of stuff. And, you know, not everything is going to hit with everybody. And that's okay. Star Wars fans are finding that out right now with Andor. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea, but I'm glad it exists. A more diverse, rich universe is, is better than not having one. So we're just going to dive right in. We'll do a little quick thing like we do with our movie reviews, but we're just going to do the episodes instead. So here we go with episode one, entitled Filmed Before a Live Studio Audience. The episode is presented as a black-and-white late 1950s sitcom in which Wanda Maximoff and The Vision are a newlywed couple who've just moved into a lovely house in the suburbs. Wanda has her usual telekinetic abilities, and Vision is still an android, although he sports a human visage out in public. But they try to blend in with their new surroundings. I'll admit I do like the intro music, and there is something about these old black and white sitcoms. The comedy is pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Later, when Vision is at work, he's so sensitive about the, like, robot machine jokes. You can already kind of tell, though, that something is really off. Before Vision heads off to work, they notice a heart written on that day's date on the calendar, but they cannot recall what it represents. Wanda meets her new neighbor, Agnes, who has volunteered to help Wanda prepare to celebrate whatever is happening that night. Meanwhile, Vision, who works in his firm's computational services division, realizes that he and Wanda are supposed to be hosting his boss, Mr. Hart, and his wife at their house for dinner that night. But back at home, Wanda believes they are supposed to be celebrating an anniversary. She begins preparing for a romantic evening with Vision. Also noteworthy is the fact that Vision impresses his co-workers with his speed, yet neither he nor anyone else there seem to know what their company actually does. I'm old enough to have watched a lot of 50s television in syndicated reruns. They have captured the feel 
the look and the spirit of the late 1950s sitcom here brilliantly. This episode recreates the essence of shows like I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, and Bewitched in both appearance and in tone. I think the pacing of the action and the dialogue is spot on, and the dialogue itself is appropriately dated and corny. You've also got the classic sitcom plot device of you know Vision thinking that the date is special for one reason, and Wanda thinking it's something else entirely, the comedy of errors sort of thing. And if I'm not mistaken, they actually did have a live in-studio audience for those first few episodes. As you'll soon notice, each of these sitcom episodes has a title sequence done in the same style as the era in which they are trying to emulate, right down to the theme music, which I will make an effort to talk about much more next time after we review the entire series. I love that no one at Vision's job knows what that company does. Like, isn't that everyone who works for a large corporation? <laughs> Late stage capitalism, even in the 50s. My mom's favorite 60s show is The Andy Griffith Show, which I think also has a similar vibe to this. I think the Andy Griffith show was maybe a little bit different, but I could, but I can certainly see where where you're coming from. It's got the sort of the look and the feel and the canned laughter. The fact that nobody at the company knows what the company does and all, everyone's just kind of normal about it is what is so funny. They're like, oh, what? Yeah, what was whatever. it like? Yeah, we just we do the calculations for what though? I don't know. And then it's just you know, then you just go on your coffee break and go about your business. There's a commercial for the Toastmate 2000 toaster by Stark Industries. During the commercial, we see a blinking red light on the toaster, while everything else is still in black and white. Hmm. Vision, Mr. Hart, and his wife come to the Vision house to find Wanda dressed provocatively, by 1950s standards, that is, and no dinner. When Vision says, oh, it's the traditional Sokovian greeting, I forgot to tell you, my wife is from Europe. Uh, he's holding Wanda's hand, and they sort of swing their hands back and forth a little bit. It's really cute, and I desperately want to know if that was a note from the director or if they did that themselves. Well, regardless, I think Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany have incredible chemistry in this series. Uh, I felt it in Civil War and in Infinity War, but this is this show is sort of a whole nother level. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did ad-lib that bit with their hands. It just sounds like something they might do. That does feel uh, something like something friends would do. Like maybe they were doing a take and they like happened to do it and they were like, oh, this is good. This feels like natural. Yeah, let's let's keep it. Hilarity ensues as Wanda uses her powers to prepare a full course meal while Vision entertains the hearts while also trying to conceal Wanda's abilities from their curiosity. During dinner, Mrs. Hart asks Wanda and Vision how long they've been married and from where they moved. Neither of them seem to know. Suddenly, Mr. Hart begins choking on a piece of food and collapses, with Mrs. Hart seemingly thinking her husband is joking and repeatedly telling him to stop it. Vision leans down to Mr. Hart and discreetly phases his hand into Mr. Hart, removing the piece of food that's choking him. With everything apparently all right now, the Harts leave, with Mr. Hart promising Vision a promotion for having saved his life. Wanda and Vision agree to make that day their wedding anniversary, and Wanda fashions them each wedding rings. As the episode ends, we can now see that it has taken place within a fictional sitcom that someone in the real world is watching on a monitor surrounded by lots of other equipment. Here we are, rolling along with this goofy, silly 1950s sitcom, and then we get to the choking scene. And for a moment, everything becomes really dead serious. Uh, and not just serious serious, but like weird and freaky David Lynch-like serious. You know, with Mrs. Hart just saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, over and over again. It was it was such a beautifully strange moment where you're wondering, you know, what the heck is going on here? And by the way, as a fan of that 70s show, I thought it was great 
to see Mary Jo Rupp on TV once again as Mrs. Hart. I mentioned David Lynch a moment ago. One of the things I like about these early WandaVision episodes is that they kind of remind me of Twin Peaks and that they are generally humorous, but with a bizarre supernatural mystery box element to them where you're scratching your head trying to figure out what's going on. And not in an irritated kind of way, but in a fascinated kind of way. Like, you know, what was up with that choking scene? Why was the toaster light in color? Why the Stark Industries reference? Who was watching this TV show at the end? And, you know, I just love Elizabeth Olsen's and Paul Bettany's performances in this episode. I, I had no idea that they could do funny so well. I particularly enjoyed Paul Bettany's comic timing when he's trying to entertain the hearts. I'm actually so impressed with both of them, especially how well Paul Bettany did the distressed husband thing. I can truly believe his panic, and it doesn't feel like I'm watching an actor act. It feels like I'm watching a real person panic. Also, yeah, I mean, it's Wanda. Something is definitely off, even before you get to the toaster commercial. Also, we obviously don't know what's up at this point. On your first watch, you didn't know, but Mrs. Hart is for sure not saying stop it over and over and over just to her husband, you know? Mm. Like, something is broken. Right. I keep giving the stop it thing thought. I've never been able to kind of put my finger on it. I don't think she's it. talking to her husband. As obviously I have the benefit of hindsight. You know, I've uh, seen all the that's... episodes, but I don't think she's talking to her husband. Ah, uh, yeah, I think you're probably very now that I now that I think about it, I think you're right. Cuz I hadn't thought about Mrs. Hart in the beginning of that first episode in a long time because by the time you get to the end and you know what's going on, you kind of forget about some of the stuff that happened at the very beginning. And we're on to episode 2 entitled Don't Touch That Dial. Still in black and white, but appearing to take place in the early to mid-1960s now, we open up with Wanda and Vision trying to sleep, but they are constantly being startled by strange, unidentifiable noises outside their house. We get a new sitcom title sequence that's clearly meant to send up Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, signaling that we are moving on to the 1960s. Funny thing first, I love the two beds. That gag always makes me laugh when couples have two separate beds. Oh, it's like I love Lucy. You know? That makes me laugh every time. Lucy and Ricky slept in two separate beds. Now, less funny, never investigate the weird noise. What is wrong with you? When I was staying at my parents' house last week, I completely disregarded that rule and was worried the rest of the night because I had to go down and check something out and then got nervous because it was dark. So just ignore it and go back to bed. Everything's fine outside in the woods. It's all fine. It's fine. Don't Please go. Don't. Please tell me you didn't go out into the woods. No, I didn't. That's <laughs> your parents' house. But I did go downstairs and like hunt around. You could have been like attacked by a gator or something. I could have. They usually don't attack people. I've seen a gator in the yard. I went down and said hi to it. I'm not sure how to respond to that. It's that my little gator like, friend. That sounds like a whole heck of a lot of fun. That sounds like a hoot and a holler. And it's my little gator friend. I just said that's hi. A, that's what you do in Florida. Yeah. On the coast. You say hi to the gators. Vision is practicing his magic act for the upcoming neighborhood talent show fundraiser with Wanda as his lovely assistant. Wanda sees it as an opportunity for them to fit in. Later that day, Wanda hears the noises outside again. She goes outside and discovers what appears to be a small toy helicopter in color in the bushes. Hot Rod Red, no less. We know those colors. It bears the same logo as the one we saw on a notebook being handled by the person watching the WandaVision sitcom on the monitor in the end of the last episode. Wanda is then startled by the sudden appearance of Agnes, who has come to lend her her pet rabbit for hers and Vision's magic act, and to accompany Wanda to a meeting of the talent show planning committee at a neighbor's house nearby. While Wanda runs inside momentarily, Agnes has a brief conversation with Dennis, the mail carrier, who is walking by. The obvious question is... What's up with the noise in the helicopter? But also, 
notice that the interior of the Vision household has changed since the last episode. And what's up with that interaction between Agnes and Dennis? Seems kind of random, or is it? Also, the town is identified as Westview for the first time here in this episode. It's also interesting that Wanda and Vision are both aware, or at least behave as such, that wherever they lived before this, something happened, and now they have to be, air quotes, normal here. Like, at this point, we don't know what's going on, obviously, but it makes you wonder how much everyone knows from their perspectives, which, again, I sort of bring back to the Mrs. Hart thing. Since Wanda and Vi- well, at least Vision, seems to not really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Wanda and Agnes attend the planning committee meeting with several other housewives, led by Dottie, whose favor Agnes encourages Wanda to seek out due to its many apparent social advantages. Wanda has trouble fitting in with the other high society housewives, but makes a new friend in Geraldine who also claims to not really know what exactly she's doing there. Meanwhile, Vision attends a meeting of the local neighborhood watch. One of the watch members offers him a piece of chewing gum, which Vision accidentally swallows. Both these meetings are like proto-PTA, homeowners association, city council meetings all rolled into one, and I'm like secondhand embarrassed about it. (laughs) The whole Stepford Wives-esque kind of element to that. The the planning committee meeting. I mean, I can see why they did it because it's so very, you know, 1950s and they're making it, they're trying to make it funny. And they're also trying to make sort of a satirical commentary on that, I think. But it is kind of high society housewives in Westview, New Jersey. The first real housewives of New Jersey. The real housewives of Westview. After the planning committee meeting, Wanda catches Dottie alone and attempts to pave things over after getting off on the wrong foot during the meeting. The conversation takes a strange turn as Dottie tells Wanda that she's heard things about her and Vision. Wanda responds that she doesn't mean anyone any harm. Dottie says she doesn't believe her. Just then, a voice on a nearby radio seems to be calling out to Wanda. The speaker on the radio then blows out and the glass Dottie is holding shatters. Dottie's hand begins bleeding, red blood. Clever how the song playing on the radio when the voice comes across is Help Me Rhonda, which sounds like Wanda. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in there, but you know, in case you didn't notice. And then we get a commercial for Strucker brand watches. Strucker as in Baron Strucker of Hydra, who experimented on Wanda and her brother Pietro, giving them their powers with the Mind Stone in Loki's Scepter way back in Age of Ultron. Note how the watch says Hydra and has the Hydra logo on it. I did look this up. There are Struckers in the X-Men universe. In the movies? Or in the comics? In the comics. Okay, well, in the comics, yeah, because the the, com- the X-Men exist in the entire Marvel comics I, universe. And who Baron was Strucker the one who Marvel messed comic. with Magneto when he was a kid? What's that guy's name? Who messed with Magneto when he was a kid? X-Men um, First Class. Shaw. Oh, Shaw. Yeah, the, the Kevin Bacon character. But then there was also, just going to turn this into an X-Men podcast, um, X-Men 2? Oh, that's that's the he that's the guy who mixed that's the guy who messed with Wolverine. Striker, strike, striker, yeah, striker, yeah. But there are obviously in the comics there is some overlap, but also Striker is the other guy. Yeah. Yes, played uh, played rather well in that movie by um, God, I can't remember his name. He's a really good actor. Here, do you still have whatever you were looking at up on your screen? Who played who played? Colin uh, Earl William (laughs) Striker. Colonel? You didn't just say colonel. <laughs> but that's how it's spelled. Kentucky Fried Chicken, cur- courtesy of Colonel Sanders. <laughs> well, why would they put an R in there if there's no R in the word? Stupid hey, I didn't invent the English language. Actor. Come on. Is it Brian Cox? Brian Cox. 
Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, it's a good movie. Vision arrives at the talent show late and seems to be intoxicated due to the chewing gum stopping up his inner workings. He fumbles through the act and almost inadvertently reveals his powers on several occasions, only to be covered up by Wanda's quick thinking. After their performance, Wanda removes the gum from inside Vision, and, much to their surprise, the two of them end up walking home with an award for comedy performance of the year. This is obviously not important to the plot or anything else at all about the show, but I have to get this off my chest. I don't like One Piece outfits like what Wanda has on. Leotard swimsuits, any of it, don't like them, think they look weird. I'm going to start another manifesto, except this time it's going to be about one-piece swimsuits. That's all. And the opinions on this show are expressed on this show are solely those of the people expressing them. Uh, In this case, Emily Michelle Griswold. I do not like them. I like boiler suits or rompers. I think those are cute. Let me start like a fashion podcast. The least fashionable person you know starting a fashion podcast. Here we go. Oh, you're definitely not the least fashionable person I know. Trust me. For for the for the record, I think Elizabeth Olsen looks just fine in her magic outfit. Good job taking it, putting it back on track. Always. <laughs> isn't that what I isn't that what I'm here for? I'll have a lot more to say about Elizabeth Olsen's performance as the series goes on, but Paul Bettany, damn, he has a gift for comedy that I never knew he had. I He just, two episodes in a row, he had me smiling. I, I thought he did such a great job getting the laughs, because it's just, it's a side of him I've never seen before. I've seen lots of sides to Paul Bettany, but funny is not one of them, and now I can say he has it, and he does it very well. Wanda and Vision return home, and Wanda is suddenly very visibly pregnant. Another loud noise emanates from outside the house, so the two of them go to investigate. Out in the street, a manhole cover is removed, and a person wearing a white beekeeper suit with bees buzzing around them emerges. Wanda says, no, and seemingly rewinds the episode back to the moment we discover that she is pregnant. They kiss, and then everything shifts to color. The episode closes with a hex-shaped window framing Wanda and Vision as we hear the voice from the radio say, Wanda, Wanda, who's doing this to you, Wanda? Well, that was weird. <laughs> episode 3, entitled Now in Color. The episode opens up in the style of a late 1960s sitcom a la The Brady Bunch or The Partridge Family. Note once again the hex-shaped frames around their faces in the opening titles. Do you ever listen to the lyrics of these sitcoms, like openers, and think to yourself... What the heck are they even saying? That doesn't make any sense at all. Because that's how I feel, especially with this episode. No, you can go back and listen to, listen to them, or you can uh, stream the soundtrack on YouTube or Spotify or something like that. They crafted all the various theme songs very, very carefully. No, I mean, yeah, I know. But, like, in general, like, you listen to a sitcom opener and you're like, that was weird. Like, the jingles. Like, weird jingles. They're like jingles, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what goes into the writing of a sitcom theme song. But I think they are very good because they very accurately, the ones they use in this show do very accurately represent the kind of things you do here in an actual sitcom. Dr. Nielsen visits Wanda and Vision at their home which now looks very much like the Brady Bunch house, open staircase and all, and informs them that Wanda is four months pregnant, despite her having only started to show 12 hours earlier. Vision escorts Dr. Nielsen outside and asks him to keep Wanda's pregnancy on the down low for now. Dr. Nielsen is happy to do so, especially since he's about to go on vacation with his wife. As they are talking, we see Herb, one of the next-door neighbors and Vision's friend, trimming his hedges. He then, inexplicably, begins trimming through the cement wall separating his house from Wanda's and Vision's. More strange mystery box stuff with Herb and the wall. It's a weird scene. Notice how he just keeps cutting even after he acknowledges Vision's warning about it. It's like he's in some sort of trance or something. The attention to detail in this episode, I think, is really impressive. 
the costumes and the hairstyle, especially Vision's uh, 1960s human do, uh, are spot on. The, the design of the house and the furnishings are great. In fact, my parents and several other relatives of mine had those exact wooden cabinets like you see in the entrance vestibule of the house. I swear to God, they looked exactly like that. They even made the... Um, the film looks slightly grainy, uh, as shows in that era often did, and they do the screen wipe transitions between scenes, just like they do on the Brady Bunch. I thought it was really funny. That Herb wall hedge scene was so unsettling. I don't remember that from the first time I watched the series, but this time I was just confused and very concerned. Like I said, this a lot of these early episodes remind me of uh, Twin Peaks, precisely because of the, that sort of weird, awkward, I feel kind of strange watching this and uh, unsettled, like you said. Vision goes back inside, and the two of them begin assembling the baby's nursery. Moments later, Wanda feels a kick from the baby which means that her pregnancy has advanced to six months. Before long, Wanda is at close to nine months and begins having contractions. They cause her to lose some control over her telekinetic abilities, which inadvertently make power to the entire town go out. Vision tells Wanda that he feels like something is wrong, citing the incident with Herb and the wall. Suddenly, the episode once again seems to rewind several seconds, and Vision says something else, and then Wanda's water breaks, accompanied by a deluge of rain inside the house, which I thought was a very, very funny little twist. If we didn't know what we already know now, I would think that that had something to do with the mysterious person in the control room from the first episode. I hadn't thought about that. Like, if we didn't already know what's actually going right. on, I would mm -hmm. think, oh, weird, guess it was them. We then get an ad for Hydra Soak Luxury Bath Powder, which I thought was kind of odd. That's one of the, that's the one ad I don't really get. With the phone lines down, Vision runs off to try to get Dr. Nielsen before he leaves for vacation. While he's gone, Geraldine shows up at the house. After many comical bits revolving around trying to keep Geraldine from learning about Wanda's pregnancy, the jig is up and Geraldine ends up helping deliver twin boys Billy and Tommy just as Vision arrives with Dr. Nielsen. Have you ever had a bird in your house? I have not. Have you ever had? Well, then you haven't. So well, you definitely haven't. We had a we had a pet parakeet once, long time ago. But like a like a big bird, like a stork or a heron. No. It's crazy. I have had a heron in my house, which are about the size of that bird from the show. It's wild. Was this in Texas? Uh huh. And in Florida, sometimes they get in the house. Wow. Yeah. They don't care about inside, outside. Doesn't matter to them. They'll come in. Is it difficult to get them out? <laughs> they, yeah. They don't want to go. Oh, great. But I'm here, so like clearly it's not so bad. All right. Well, next time I have a bird in the house, especially a heron or a stork, I'm calling you to help But that whole scene, I was like, I, yep. <laughs> Uh -huh. I guess they get them in New Jersey, too. Once everyone is settled in and Vision escorts him away, Dr. Nielsen makes a cryptic comment about how small towns are hard to escape. Vision then spots Agnes and Herb gossiping with each other. They point out that Geraldine appears to have no husband, no family, and no home. Herb is about to say that Geraldine is here, quote, because we all but then stops, seemingly at Agnes's urging. It almost seems like Agnes and Herb are holding hands. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Back inside, Wanda tells Geraldine that she used to have a twin brother named Pietro. At this, Geraldine pauses before saying, he was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? Of course, this doesn't fail to attract Wanda's notice. She confronts Geraldine and sees that her necklace contains the same sword-shaped symbol that she saw on the toy helicopter, and that we saw in the very end of the first episode. Vision rushes back inside and notices that Geraldine is gone. Wanda tells him that she had to rush back home. 
Cut to an exterior of Westview at night. A hole of some kind seems to open up in the middle of the air, and we see Geraldine hurled out of it and onto the grassy ground. In moments, very modern-looking SUVs, armed soldiers, and a helicopter converge on her in the field. With Daydream Believer by the Monkees playing very prominently, the camera pulls back, and we can see a very modern-looking compound and several stadium-style lights pointed at what appears to be a giant force field at the edge of the woods. I know Wanda's always been a little unhinged, sort of rightfully so, I guess, but I feel like this was the first time, like that scene with Geraldine, where I really thought, oh, girl has some problems. (laughs) Like, we're in trouble TM territory with this chick. I can't tell you how much the terror stood up on the back of my neck when Geraldine mentioned Ultron, I, I was that was such a whoa. Where did that come from? I was not expecting that. You know, between that and Agnes and Herb's really weird behavior at the wall, and that whole that complete WTF moment with Geraldine spitting out into the real world at the end of the episode. I mean, I remember being totally enthralled when I first saw this last year. The end of this episode just ratcheted up the tension for me and had me completely trying to rip open the mystery box. And I'm not normally a mystery box kind of guy, but this one really had me. Fortunately for us, we didn't have much longer to wait to get some answers, finally. Episode 4, We Interrupt This Program. The episode opens up with a grown-up Captain Monica Rambeau, daughter of Carol Danvers' friend Maria Rambeau, returning to life five years after having been snapped away by Thanos. When she was snapped, she was in the hospital visiting her mother, who was being treated for cancer. She has now reappeared in this very same hospital. Amidst the confusion caused by the sudden return of everyone who was dusted and unaware of what has happened, Monica bumps into her mother's doctor and inquires about her mom's status. She is shocked to learn that her mother died three years ago, two years after she, Monica, disappeared. The only thing that could cause more chaos than having half of all living creatures disappear would be having them all unexpectedly come back at the same time five years later. And that's demonstrated very effectively here. I mean, we're, we're talking over three billion people just popping in out of nowhere. I mean, you see how chaotic it is in that in that hospital. And just imagine that on a 5,000-fold happening all over the world, all over the universe, in fact. How many people do you think were just about to do something stupid, like slide on black ice or fall off a cliff or something right before they got snapped? Statistically, it has to be pretty high, right? Or what if you were in a building when you got snapped and they demolished it while you were gone to pave a new road or something, and suddenly you're back in a super weird spot? Like, at least Monica's snapping location was pretty much unchanged. Heck, even her mom's room, I assume that's where she was, was empty. That's one of those unanswered questions left over from Endgame. What if you were snapped from an airplane? You know, did you blip back in midair or, you know, (laughs) on the ground? The prevailing wisdom seems to be that we're supposed to just, like, I think assume that Bruce Banner just sort of, kind of, consciously or unconsciously wished everybody to return in a safe manner. Yeah, I know it sounds like a cop-out, but, you know, what else are we supposed to think? It's in the script. Well, and that leads back to my previous question of, like, what if he started thinking about something else? Like, started thinking about dinner, and suddenly it's, like, raining hamburgers (laughs) instead of people. God, that was so cool if it rained hamburgers. Or maybe not. (laughs) Spaghetti and meatballs, MCU edition. (laughs) Really cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Three weeks later, Rambeau reports to the headquarters of S.W.O.R.D., Sentient Weapon Observation (laughs) Response Division, the first of their disappeared people to return to duty. She meets with acting director Tyler Haywood, hoping to be reinstated to space duty, but she is denied, apparently due to regulations put in place by her mother, 
who founded S.W.O.R.D., preventing vanished personnel from going into space should they ever return. Instead, she is sent to New Jersey to chaperone an imaging drone requested by the FBI to assist in a missing persons case. What are they building in that hangar they're walking through in S.W.O.R.D. headquarters? Are those spaceships? I also wonder why her mom instituted regulations to keep vanished personnel from going into space if they ever came back. What does she know that we don't? Also, that guy does not look like a Tyler. Uh, I can't speak to the Tyler thing, but I don't know. I guess since they don't know where everyone blipped off to, I don't know. I guess, you know, you know national security types. They're always afraid of people being compromised and stuff. I guess they figured they can't run the risk of you having been, you know, converted into an alien or something like that while you were away. And last thing they want you to do is do something sensitive to the, you know, to global security or whatever. That's my guess. We then see Rambo driving into Westview, New Jersey. She is greeted just outside the city limits by FBI Special Agent Jimmy Wu, last seen in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Agent Wu had someone set up in witness protection in Westview and lost contact with them. Not only that, but when he contacted this witness's known associates and family, none of them claimed to have ever heard of him. Furthermore, everyone with whom he has met in New Jersey who is outside of Westview claims that Westview doesn't even exist. This isn't a missing person case, Captain Rambo. It's a missing town. Rambo deploys the sword imaging drone, a small helicopter-looking device that looks very much like the one Wanda discovered in the bushes back in Episode 2. But it disappears as she sends it toward the town. She walks toward the town herself, is sucked into an energy field that seems to surround the town and disappears. I don't know if you know about this or not, and I'm about to be like tinfoil hat crazy, but I've read, of course, on like Reddit and stuff, that there are fake towns all over the U.S. that are used as like CIA training grounds, and this kind of reminds me of that. Like I know there's Hogan's Alley and things like that. Like those are well known. But I read some sort of creepypasta story about a guy who pulled off the highway to spend the night and the town had like a McDonald's and hotels and all this stuff. But something was just off about it. He says he only saw like 10 people and he says the cashier at the McDonald's was also the same person who checked him in at the hotel and there was no cell phone service at all. I bet you the writers were like, what if we created a fake town like that except magic? Well, you know, you do realize what they manufacture in those towns. I'm, I'm guessing... <laughs> Since we're all Spooks, in the spies. I was gonna say. I was gonna weapons, say weapons. I was missiles. gonna say. I was gonna say leotards and one piece swimsuits. <laughs> that would be the one thing that would get like you know when they're trying to torture you for information and they'll play like Sesame Street or something or like heavy metal. Just have to like a parade of people in terrible looking leotards. How, how in the world did we get onto this? You and your weird rants. I mean, they make for great B-roll fodder for this podcast. Yo, I, could, say that I could do this about anything. Give me a topic. Offshoot podcast. What was the first one? Talking about clothes? Another one. Just ask me a question and I'll talk for like an hour. You should do that. You should start You should start your own podcast. Is Emily... What's another thing that will set Emily off into a blind fury for no reason? <laughs> Oh, I'm sure I'll say something at some point in the next 20 minutes or so that will do with a trick. 24 hours later, Darcy Lewis, who we haven't seen since Thor The Dark World, and who now wields a PhD in astrophysics, arrives at the S.W.O.R.D. compound outside of Westview. Her assessment of data brought back by drones indicates a hexagonal CMBR field, that's 
cosmic microwave background radiation dating back to the Big Bang surrounding the town. Buried within that background radiation is a signal that appears on her equipment, in this case a vintage television set, as an old sitcom featuring Wanda and Vision. In other words, it was Darcy watching the sitcom on the monitor at the end of that first episode. <laughs> I love Wu's line, so you're saying the universe created a sitcom starring two Avengers? You remember a while back when I said I wanted domestic Avengers? This isn't really what I meant. <laughs> Might be the closest you ever get. Wu and Darcy begin using the sitcom footage to identify the members of the cast. Most appear to be Westview residents. But then Darcy spots Geraldine and realizes it's Monica Rambeau. Darcy rigs a transmitter to send a signal into the field that she's hoping can be picked up by any radios that are playing near Wanda. Wu tries to transmit a message this way during Wanda's poolside chat with Dottie back in episode 2, so this is who was speaking to her through the radio during that scene. Meanwhile, Director Haywood attempts to send people dressed in rad suits into town by way of underground tunnels, not knowing whether or not the field extends underground. Well, apparently it does because when one of those people crosses through the barrier, his rad suit turns into a beekeeper suit. This would be the guy who pops out of the manhole in the end of episode two. Darcy and Wu continue to monitor the sitcom broadcasts. They witness the birth of the twins and the moment that Monica mentions Ultron. The sitcom then seems to get censored and cuts to the end of the episode. We then shift to what actually happened. Wanda used her powers to blast Monica across town and out of the field. Wanda repairs the damage to the house caused by her shooting Monica through the wall and hears Vision enter the house. When she turns to look at him, he momentarily appears as an animated form of Vision's corpse with lifeless eyes, gray skin, and the gaping hole in his head from where Thanos ripped the Mind Stone out of it. Outside, Monica comes to and says, Wanda. It was all Wanda. Now you know I like the song that's playing in the end credits. I don't remember which one is playing through the end credits. It's Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Child. Oh, that's right. That's right. Actually, I did forget that you like that song. Love Jimi Hendrix. First of all, I like that we didn't have to wait till the series was almost over to find out what was going on. I like how they go back and mostly explain some of the weird things that happened in episodes one through three. Although not the Mr. Hart choking thing, I still don't quite get what that was all about. It was fun to see Darcy and Agent Wu again. I like how Darcy's a PhD now and is somewhat more mature and experienced and knowledgeable, but that she's also still the Darcy that we've all come to know and love. As I mentioned in our Ant-Man and the Wasp episode, I very much prefer Agent Wu here in WandaVision. He has a substantial role to play, and he's not a dopey jerk this time. As I've alluded to before, I also like the quick, unexpected moments of dark seriousness in this series. Having dead vision appear to Wanda at the end was certainly a shocker to me and kind of heightens that WTF sensibility that this show is riding on. Episode 5, on a very special episode, the episode begins much like the opening teaser of a 1980s family sitcom. Wanda and Vision are having great difficulty getting babies Tommy and Billy to stop crying and go to sleep. Agnes shows up and offers to look after the boys so Wanda and Vision can have a bit of peace. But when Vision is hesitant to let her do so, Agnes seemingly drops out of character and asks Wanda if she should take that again, as if she were an actor asking if she should do another take of a scene. Wanda, with a seemingly panicked look on her face, insists that Agnes try to take care of the babies, which Agnes proceeds to do, after quickly getting back into character, that is. But Vision witnessed that whole weird exchange and pulls Wanda off to the side to ask her what just happened. Wanda brushes it off and implores Vision to let Agnes take care of the kids so the two of them can have a night off. Moments later, Billy and Tommy suddenly age by five years. First off, that thing with Agnes was probably 
even more awkward than the hedge scene, at least in my opinion. It was just so weird and random. Second, that opening title sequence is like pure 80s TV gold. You've got the cheesy theme song, the silly montage visuals. It's like family ties and growing pains all rolled into one. I think what actually kind of freaked me out about these opening scenes is when Wanda is trying to use her magic to make the babies fall asleep and it doesn't work. And in her sort of sing song, sweet voice, she's like, why won't you do what I want? Because her magic has always worked on everyone else before. And if it doesn't work, she can just rewind it so that it will. But I don't think babies care that much. <laughs> no, babies are going to do whatever the heck they want. Meanwhile, Monica Rambeau wakes up in the sword infirmary. For some reason, her x-rays look blank, and her blood work needs to be redone. She attends a briefing with Director Haywood, Agent Wu, Darcy, and the rest of the sword staff. Apparently, Wanda has been holding the entire town of Westview and all of its residents hostage by way of mind control, something she was actively doing to Rambeau. Haywood then reveals footage taken nine days earlier at sword headquarters of Wanda breaking in, stealing Vision's corpse and resurrecting it, violating the Sokovia Accords and Vision's own living will. I really hate Haywood for two reasons. One, I hate that he's, to quote Darcy, a dick. And two, I hate that he's been written the way that he's been written. He's, he's a total trope. He's this hardline national security hawk who hates powered people and he hates superheroes and he doesn't hesitate to assume belligerence on their part. And we've seen, we see how casually he shoots down Rambo's and Wu's attempts to cut Wanda some slack. He's probably just a little too comic booky for me. And that's, that's saying something because I like comic booky kind of stuff. An ownerless puppy named Sparky by Agnes shows up at the house and the boys try to convince Wanda and Vision to let them keep him. They tell them that they have to be at least 10 years old in order to care for a pet. And so the boys age up by five years right before everyone's eyes. Just before that, Vision chides Wanda for using her powers casually, almost in front of Agnes. He notes that for the first time, they don't seem to be on the same page regarding important matters like that. He says, um, what aren't you telling me? And so Vision is becoming increasingly aware that something is amiss in all of this. We're about to find out why they had to move to Westview in the first place. <laughs> As Rambeau tries to figure out a way to re-enter the Hex, so dubbed by Darcy since the field is hexagonal in shape, she, Darcy, and Wu realize that Wanda has been changing reality in the Hex. The 70s outfit that Rambeau was wearing when she emerged from the Hex is now suddenly 87% Kevlar. It was probably about, you know, 87% polyester before that. And she went in wearing a Kevlar suit, or vest actually. Okay, what was that look that Monica Rambeau gives us when Darcy mentions Captain Marvel? Uh, and why did she feel the need to change the topic so quickly? I, was it that she was, you know, talking about Captain Marvel reminds her of her mom, you know, kind of like a, a sore subject because, you know, she's still smarting from you know, having found out that she died? Well, weren't or they kind of close, though? On? Wasn't Monica kind of the way, you know, the way like an, a child is close to a family member kind of thing? That's true. They were, they were, at least we, from, all, from what we know, they were very close. We don't know what happened in the intervening years between the movie, the events of, the, of Captain Marvel and the blip. It was almost a, and, you know, I don't want to talk about it kind of look. And that's why she changed the topic so quickly. I don't know. Maybe they're just sort of planting a seed for the Marvels. That's, uh, maybe that's all it is. But I, I noticed it for the first time today when I watched it. At work, Vision receives an email, an electronic mail, containing a sword report that outlines the actual situation in Westview. Norm, his co-worker, and everyone else at the office think it's a joke. 
But when Vision attempts to psychically bond with Norm, Norm responds like a person terrorized. Please help me. You've got to stop her. She's in my head. None of it is my own. It hurts so much. Just make her stop. Sword sends in a drone piloted by Rambo. She tries to initiate contact with Wanda, but when Wanda does not respond, Haywood orders another sword person to fire on Wanda. He didn't tell Rambo that the drone was armed. Wanda emerges from the hex, toting what's left of the drone, which she destroyed, and threatens retaliation if Sword disturbs her again. I did think that was pretty cool. Oh, the bit with the drone? Yeah, like her sort of like saunter. It just tosses it, tosses uh-huh. the wreckage to them. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We then get a commercial for Lagos brand paper towels. For when you make a mess, you don't mean to. I thought that was the most chilling of the TV commercials we've seen so far. Lagos, of course, referring to Captain America Civil War when Wanda accidentally killed all of those people in Lagos. Notice how the liquid that they use the paper towel to clean up is just this, you know, blood red. That uh, that catchphrase for when you make a mess you don't mean to. I uh, was just, ooh, I kind of sent a chill up my spine. Sparky runs away, frightened off by the sword drone. Agnes finds him dead, having eaten the leaves of her azaleas. And I, for some reason I didn't realize that azalea leaves were poisonous. The boys, understandably upset, try to age up again, but Wanda stops them. When they beg her to bring Sparky back, they apparently know what she's capable of doing. She refuses, telling them that there are rules in life and that some things are permanent and can't be run away from. How interesting that in this fantasy world that she's created, Wanda picks this particular moment in time to start following the rules. You know, I I can only assume it's because that that's what a responsible parent would do. Um, I think it's fascinating how, you know, she's created these children based on her own deep-seated desires and fantasies, and yet she is moved by them to not give in to fantasy on this particular point. They want her to bring Sparky back, and she will not do it because she knows that this is not how life is. You have to learn to deal with loss. Well... She's not really doing a good job of that, though. Well, that's another reason why I found it kind of interesting. It's like, okay, why don't you follow your own damn advice, Wanda? Vision confronts Wanda about his interaction with Norm and how he knows she's controlling everything in Westview. She tries to shut him down by starting to roll the credits of the show, but Vision isn't having it at all. He presses her to stop lying to him and tell him what's going on. Tell him what is outside Westview. Tell him why there are no other children in Westview. And tell him why he can't remember his life at all before Westview. You don't get to make that choice for me. Wanda responds that she's doing all of this, quote, for us. I have a theory about why there's no kids in Westview. What is your theory? I think because of how Wanda and Pietro had such a terrible childhood. Like, first from the bombing and then from all the stuff with Strucker. Uh Uh-huh. That Wanda, real, she knows what she's doing to these people and she knows that she's hurting them, but she doesn't want to do that to a bunch of little kids. Because mm. it, it's interesting, she behaves as if she doesn't really have a whole lot of control, I think maybe for comedic effect, because she wants to live in this sitcom universe. But obviously she does, because like a place like Westview is going to have some kids, but she moved them out somewhere. I'm trying to remember, I mean, I have to... I try to. I don't remember if there were, if we see any kids near the end. Maybe the, the Halloween episode. episode. Oh, the Halloween episode. Yeah, but I'm so not sure. I think we maybe hear all of it, but I don't know if we see it. Let's 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 keep that in mind for when we watch the the next several episodes. We'll keep that in mind for part two. Well, I I the, the scene the scene where 
of Vision confronts Wanda. I absolutely love it. Uh, I thought an incredible performance by Elizabeth Olsen, but I thought it was a particularly good scene for Paul Bettany. I mean, he's like outright yelling at Wanda. We have never seen that before. And when he says, I'm scared, it was at that moment he says, I'm scared. And I'm just like, holy crap, this is the Vision. He's supposed to be, you know, this android endowed with all these great powers and abilities and so forth. And yet right now, at this very moment, he is frightened out of his wits. And it's just so unexpected and unnatural. And you kind of get that the situation must be really desperate if that's what he's feeling. And, And Paul Bettany just totally sold that for me. The doorbell rings. Wanda opens the door, revealing someone claiming to be her brother, Pietro. Now, it would probably take me another hour to explain to the uninitiated the whole story of how this is the Pietro slash Quicksilver from the 20th Century Fox X-Men movies, played by Evan Peters, and how that Pietro is different from the MCU Pietro, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, thanks to all the legal shenanigans and machinations that existed before Disney bought 20th Century Fox. Let it simply be said, then, that this is a wonderful mind-screwer of a reveal, (laughs) and Darcy's she recast Pietro comment is quite clever in that context. Do you think she would recast Eddie Brock? And there you have it, folks. <laughs> probably not the because first, they haven't met. Our review of the first half it's of It's probably WandaVision. still going to be Tom Hardy, right? You're I welcome. Hate, I, I hate you. I, I waited so long for that. I hate you. I have to give credit where credit's due. My friend from Twitter. My Venom friend from Twitter. He... He came up with that one. So it wasn't just me. You see, the thing that really, really sucks about this... Is that I'm editing this episode. No, that doesn't suck. <laughs> Believe you me, I don't feel like editing this one this, this month. Uh, the thing that really sucks is that I have no... I have absolutely, I have absolutely no defense against the, the Venom references. There's nothing I can do. There's absolutely nothing I can do about them. Except, like, start liking Venom. If I start liking Venom, maybe maybe it will make maybe it will make you go away with them. But you just like to provoke me, because you know how much I can't stand that movie. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Whoa. I mean... Woe is you, woe right? Woe is me. Well, I, was, I wasn't going to say... I was, I was going to say low, low. Low is the burden of being me. But... But woe is you, right? Uh, woe is me. Anyway... There you have it, folks. A day late, but not a dollar short, I hope. Uh, Our review of the first half of WandaVision. Stay tuned. We will be back, hopefully, in less than two months with uh, part two of our WandaVision review, episodes six, seven, eight, and nine. In the meantime, uh, we wish you all a very, very happy new year. Be safe. 2023 will hopefully be a good one, and we intend to be giving you more uh, we can do this all day content in the new year be safe and take care of each other stay warm if you're in one of the colder climbs we will see you on the flip side and have yourselves a good night and happy new year bye happy new year